Sisters before misters, am I right? This is La Ventura. Jackie. Hi. You just made a movie. I know. <laughs> Are you exhausted? Yeah. <laughs> you My wrapped voice like sounds two days a little ago? funny too. Yeah, we wrapped two days ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm in short. Uh, my second short. Amazing team, amazing cast, amazing crew. Um, really excited. What's it called and when can we look for it? It's called Souvenir Drunk. I don't know when it, you can look for it. Um, yeah. That's my final answer. <laughs> cool. Well, we will we will follow along its progress. <laughs> yeah, I kind of just I think I'm going to sit on it for a while. I have a bunch of other projects, um, but hopefully, probably like February, I'll start editing it. So I'm excited. Right around Valentine's Day. Yeah, and it is kind of a love <laughs> story. So yeah, yeah, cool. Welcome, everybody, to Seen and Heard. Hey! This is the podcast where two entertainment assistants go through the sight and sound top 100 greatest films of all time list. I'm Greg. I'm Jackie. And we're here this week to do our first Antonioni on this damn list. Are you sure about that? Well, the yeah, we haven't done one yet. <laughs> I'm missing it. She's razzing me because I just did an outtake where I said that Orson Welles because we're doing <laughs> Magnificent Ambersons next week and I accidentally <laughs> introed that film. Uh, no, this is Michelangelo Antonioni's La Ventura and from 1960. We should add it is number 21 on the 2012 list. And it is number 17 on the 2022 list. I love how much it rose through the ranks. It fell through the ranks. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Oh my God. Are you okay? No, I'm not. Clearly, I'm the one that's exhausted okay. from making a movie. Basically, <laughs> you. what we're doing, people, is we are still going to work through the 2012 list, but we are going to note the differences with the 2022 list if a film also appears on the 2022 list. Basically, we are conscious of the new list. We will get to the new list, but first we want to finish this list. Yeah, and there's a lot of overlap. So a lot of overlap. By covering so we'll this film, it, yeah. we're doing both lists. Exactly. There so, you go. Yes. But we will talk about the differences in rank later in the episode because this one's fascinating. Yeah, because clearly it, it fell so deeply. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway before we get into this week's film what have you been watching jackie i've been besides so working on your busy. movie <laughs> i've been watching my movie a million times um no i've been so busy that i the only thing i wanted to watch last week was um like old hollywood movies that's like my thing i feel like when i'm tired or stressed like i just want to watch like old hollywood movies uh, i watched brigadoon which was lovely. Oh, you liked it? I Listen, it's really beautifully shot. It's a breath of fresh joy that I hadn't experienced yet. And I think Minnelli is like amazing at the way the camera is like, there's so many cranes. There's so many cranes. And I was really genuinely in awe. I was like, whoa, like that's a dance sequence. That's a musical sequence. Let's see everything. This First of all, I was like, holy soundstage, because it's <laughs> such a like, it's such an artificial movie. But I think that's the charm of it. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, I also watched My Man Godfrey, which was lovely. I love it. Very, very, very much needed. So, yeah, that's me. I had clips from my man Godfrey at my wedding in the background. Oh, did you? Because I put together a 
I didn't see. I know yeah. I watched them. Wow, how dare you? If anyone Aww. was supposed to pick them out, it was you. I watched <laughs> most of it. <laughs> but then I had to be social. Imagine if I just stopped in front of the projector and someone came and said hi to me. I'd be like, sorry, I'm, what, I'm watching yeah, this. I'm watching this clip that Greg Can't assembled, talk. please. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was just playing in the background silently. But I had we had black and white clips before the ceremony, and mm-hmm. then after the ceremony during cocktail hour, yeah, it was color. So it was yeah. like umbrellas of Cherbourg and stuff. Um, I saw Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, oh which God, actually was a big it. disappointment. Oh no! Yeah, I, I actually did not really dig it. Really? It was like two hours long, and uh, yeah, it just didn't quite make the mark for me. Um, I did see. Uh, the new Avatar, The Way of Water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like it about the same as the first one. Maybe it's a little bit better than the first oh, one. But really? a lot of people are kind of, like, it's become really fashionable to tear Avatar apart. And look, look, neither film has like the best script. Right? Like, <laughs> but I think all the problems with the first one, like a lot of the really terrible dialogue that James Cameron always indulges in, especially when it comes to like military characters, I feel like. <laughs> A lot of that's kind of like lessened in this one. And plus, you literally, it's all about water. How could I not love it? Exactly. It's all about water. It's all fake water. Yeah, but it looks beautiful. Good. I had a good time with it. And it's like three hours and 15 minutes long, but it actually went by pretty quickly. So, you know, a lukewarm recommendation. No intermission? No. No, no intermission. Um, And then I did see the. Finally, I saw the Todd Haynes Velvet Underground documentary from, I can't believe it was already a year ago. For a year, I've been like meaning to watch this movie. So I finally saw it. It's great. It's great. I do think, um, did, you, did you see it? Mm-mm. I do think that, I think maybe because of the David Bowie film, Moon Age Daydream, mm-hmm. uh, my expectations were almost They're like. All ruined, yeah. No, well, just like, what what's so cool about the Velvet Underground documentary is it starts off and it's like very. I was enraptured with the first like 30 minutes and then it kind of turns into like a more basic like play by play of their career. But mm. then I remembered too, the Bowie one is about a man's the the myth of Bowie and his entire life. The Velvet Underground is literally just about the band, the Velvet Underground. Right. So like, you know, maybe my expectations were a little bit too lofty, but I still really dug it and thought it was great. And of course I watched it. I think I watched it back to back with Carol. Oh, nice. So, Little yeah. double feature? Yeah, little double feature. I want to watch Carol so bad. It's so about good. that time. Well, we're pu- it's a Christmas movie. We're after Christmas now, but oh, yes. well. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie, Christmas was two days ago. Oh, what are you talking I'm about? Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, that's me. That's me. I saw a few more in there, but you know, Lovely. you know what I did come to the realization huh. of because we did it for the film club. We did McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Oh. And I realized when I was watching McCabe and Mrs. Miller for maybe the third or fourth time. Not only is it incredible and up there with like the best Robert Altman movies, but uh-huh. I re- I had the realization that Robert Altman is my number one. He's your number. He's one. my number one. That's I never great. had a number one. He was like in my top three with other yeah. people, and as I was watching, I'm like, no, this he's is the one. he's the one. Aww, <laughs> and isn't it so lo- lovely that you've met his son? And yeah, we to had Bobby son? on, and who's uh, great. It was such a. If you haven't heard our Nashville episode, that's one of the ones we're most proud of my favorite yeah that's maybe my favorite we got to sit down with robert altman's son uh bobby altman and he gave us a lot of insight into the making of nashville and just his father's you know the way his father worked and yeah his legacy and it was great you guys should give it a listen if you haven't already yeah but that's so lovely for you imagine meeting the son of your number one (laughs) i know yeah no it's 
it's it's incredible i think uh yeah i just it's it's almost silly when you're an adult to like have favorites like this is my favorite movie and this is my favorite director and stuff but like sometimes you just feel so compelled to pick yeah, a favorite yeah. and robert altman right now at this point in my life is my number one nice thanks for sharing <laughs> hey no problem that's what i'm here for <laughs> should we get into it let's do it from 1960 this is michelangelo antonioni's la ventura Ventura was released in 1960. It was directed by Michelangelo Antonioni, co-written by Antonioni, Elio Bartolini, and Tonino Guerra. Cinematography by Aldo Scavarda. And music by Giovanni Fusco. The film opens with Anna, a wealthy young woman dissatisfied by her relationship with her long-distance, on-again-off-again boyfriend, Sandro. Joined by Anna's best friend, Claudia, the couple go on a yachting trip with a few of their friends, and while exploring a small, rocky, Aeolian island, Anna disappears. Claudia and Sandro and their friends search the island in vain, and eventually Anna's father and police are brought in. The rest of the party return to their carefree lifestyles while Sandro and Claudia continue to worry and search nearby towns. Early in their search, Sandro kisses Claudia and she slowly starts to return his affections. Their relationship grows increasingly passionate, and eventually they end up at a grand hotel where Sandro's business partner and wife are attending a party. Claudia decides she is too tired to attend, and Sandro goes alone. The next morning, Claudia searches for Sandro, only to find him with a high-end prostitute, Gloria Perkins, whom he encountered earlier in their search. She runs from him, and when he catches up to her, he too begins weeping, and the movie closes with Claudia putting her hand on Sandro's head as they gaze at the mountain before them. The film stars Monica Vitti as Claudia, Gabrielle Ferzetti as Sandro, and Leah Massari as Anna. The film is the first of a trilogy of films by Antonioni starring Vitti, all about the emotional morality of the modern world and kind of focused on relationships in particular. It was followed by La Notte and Leclis. The film premiered at Cannes in one of the most infamous screenings in the festival's history. Audience members booed during the long stretches where nothing major happens. They laughed at moments that were not meant to be funny. In fact, the whole movie is pretty serious. I don't think any part of this movie is funny. Um, the That's fo- not true. What do you mean? There's some funny stuff here and there. Tell me one. I guess the friends are kind of funny sometimes, but never. Like the, I the never 17 laugh. year old painter. Yeah, yeah, you're it's right. It's so ridiculous. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Doesn't he look like Adam Driver? Oh, I guess kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, the following day after the film's premiere at Con, the following day, a few established filmmakers and writers wrote a letter to Antonioni saying it was the best film of the year and basically. Don't take it too hard. Critics loved it. 
and it was an international box office hit when it was distributed overseas and monica vitti became a star um it did win the jury prize at con so basically just like the first screening i think people weren't ready and then everyone loved it uh the production for this film was very very rough um it was filmed in rome the aeolian islands and sicily it's kind of a road movie so there's all these little towns uh the actual island where most of the island stuff was filmed is called lisca bianca which means white fish bone uh, but it's super rocky and it was really hard to get to and the water was really rough and the boats wouldn't show up to take the cast and crew and the production company went bankrupt a week after they started shooting. They were short on food, water, blankets. The cast and crew were stranded for three days on the island at one point. The crew went on strike. Antonioni had to convince the cast to work for free until he got more money, essentially. And Leah Masari, who plays Anna, ended up in a coma after swimming in the freezing cold water for I don't know how many takes. Wait, you can you can get in wind she up got in a, a coma? Cardiac, she got some sort of cardiac oh, condition God. and then she had to be rushed to Rome and she was in a coma for a few days. Oh my God. Isn't that wild? I did not know that. See, it's so funny. Like you hear about shit like this and you're just like, okay, but it's one of the most beautiful movies ever made. And then like I don't know, maybe just because I like made like a short and I had like all these challenges nowhere near like this. But still, I felt so bad about the little things that did go wrong. But then I heard about this and I'm like, oh, I'm chilling. Um, when asked, Antonioni said that there was actually a scene where they pull Anna's body out of the water, but it was cut due to uh, like timing reasons but they actually shot it wait when at what point in the story would that happen exactly. at the very end no i don't know i don't know well, i just like found they this cut it. i know it i know would tip the whole film right yeah um i was very shocked by that but i i don't know i apparently it's true the movie came out in 1960 okay and then on the 1962 sight and sound list it was voted number two wow it was number wow. two in 1962 okay it went on to be in the top 10 three times. So at the following three lists. So it was five in 1972 and seven in 1982. And then today it's the lowest it's ever been. It's number 72. Of course, the 2012 list, which we're going off of, it's number 21. That's such a huge drop. So it went from 21 to 72. And I think, you know, I was trying to think about this. I think it's just this general distaste for like first world problems, which is understandable. And I'm trying to figure out like a good comparison because the most. But why is Citizen Kane still number two then? Or sorry, number three. Wait, no, now it's number three. Number three. It's more universal. Is like... it though? It's also, you know, I guess it's rags to riches, but. It's exactly. It's rags. These are just riches. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Although the Monica Vitti character says is, that she grew, grew up, up poor. Yeah. She said that. But yeah. still, I mean, it really is just about like sad rich people. You know what? I'm sorry. I but know, like. No, no, no. I'm not saying. I, no, I, I totally I, understand. Like, yeah. I love this movie. I think that it is a very important and emotional 
movie about human nature. Like, I don't think the fact that they're rich should discredit it at all. I hate the backlash against these types of stories. Like, oh, poor rich people. I'm like, no, because it's it's taking a really fascinating look at how empty their lives are. Exactly. It's a critique. Exactly. Like, I don't know. I'll never get tired of watching like lonely rich people. Like that's some of the best cinema. Right. If it's if it's compelling, and this certainly is. Um, Not every movie needs to be Pather Panchali. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of like a good comparison. Right now, the most modern movie on the list is Mulholland Drive. And and the top ten, I mean. I'm trying to think of like the top ten, right? Because this would be like it being number two in nineteen sixty two would be like if Portrait of Lady on Fire was number two yeah. in our list. Yeah in this 2022 list yeah uh so right now we have mulholland drive that's the most recent uh top 10 movie which still it's it's interesting well, no, because uh, it in went, the mood for love mulholland drive is newer oh are they like one year apart one or year something? wow in the mood for love is 2000 oh. and um which is so crazy because it seems so modern but like yeah um it's just interesting that mulholland drive was lower on the list when it came out like closer to when it came out and now just now it's climbed yeah Yeah. so there really isn't a comparison it would be like if portrait of lady on fire was number two this year yeah which i wouldn't be mad at (laughs) i don't know i mean i like the movie i wouldn't say number two of all time but uh you know (laughs) (laughs) um those are my specs what are your initial thoughts (laughs) um this movie sucks no i'm just kidding yeah, I love this film. I think I maybe I sang its praises too highly in I think two last episode and I think even our sight and sound episode, I said both times that this is my favorite Italian film. And I don't know why I felt the pressure to have to <laughs> proclaim that. Do but you take it back? It's not that I, do, I take it back, but I just You you don't have one. It's maybe yeah, t- yeah maybe a too lofty a statement because I do also love, you know, yeah. a handful of other films. But because yeah. I mean, look. There are so many great films that came out of Italy, especially mid-century, from the you know the neorealist stuff of the '40s through the '60s, Italy through the '70s, yeah. not just for prestige stuff like Antonioni and Fellini, but for uh, genre stuff like Argento and Fulci and all those guys too. So, I mean, Italy is just—it's like in the same way that the UK, like so many great musicians came out of the UK. Yeah. Italy yeah. has yeah. so many great filmmakers yeah. and so many different genres: the spaghetti mm-hmm. western, mm-hmm. the giallo, the poliziotechi. Like they just had so many great movements. All that said, yes, I love this movie, <laughs> and I think um, it's funny because the first time I saw it, I think this was my third or fourth time seeing it. The first time I saw it, I did not like it because mm. I I was promised, I was younger, I was promised a mystery. And I think oh. I was like, I was like, oh, I'm going to find out what happened to her. And, and then you didn't. And yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, then this movie sucks. <laughs> Same thing happened the first time I saw Picnic and Hanging Rock, which echoes mm. this film a lot. And, you know, not a spoiler on that film, but again, you, there's a certain amb- ambiguity that you right. don't get your answers, mm-hmm. which I now love. That's now my favorite stuff. But the same thing, same time I saw the first time I saw Picnic at Hanging Rock, I thought the same thing. So I came back to this a couple years after that first time and I fell in love with it. And I was like, it was like seeing a new film. I think I had just become a different person. And I was like, oh my God, like, how did I not like this the first time? <laughs> I think too, it was just like adjusting my expectations of like, you're not going to find out what happened to her. Right. But it's a masterpiece of the highest order. I think, I mean, there's something um it's just it has me written all over it in terms of like it's really deliberately paced it's so moody you always hear like the wind howling Mm, the water water. (laughs) 
<laughs> and just these really attractive rich people really unhappy, you know, being really sad. And I love it. I love it. It's and I beautiful. love that this was released the same year as La Dolce Vita. Both masterpieces. Yes. But this is almost like the inverse of La Dolce yeah, Vita. Where I like this much La Dolce more. Vita is like a maximalist movie. Yes, it's big. Is... It's a circus, as mm-hmm. Fellini does. And this is literally the inverse. Yeah. This is the, the about the negative space. Exactly. And it's a masterpiece. I'm in love with this movie. I don't think I could see this movie enough times. Uh, I love it. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> I also love it. Um, the way you have a theory that persona is like just a vehicle for performances and like is specifically crafted to show off the performances. Cause we talked about this in our persona episode. I feel that way about this movie, but for camera and for mm, beauty, mm-hmm. like yes. that's what this movie is, you know? Um, and the like beauty and then the emptiness of it. And uh, which is why I was so surprised to learn that the cinematographer wasn't bigger than he is. Aldo Scavarda, like I looked him up. Yeah, he did. I think he did like a Rossellini movie and like a few other things. But I was expecting him to be like the cinematographer on La Notte and Le Clis because they they both have this like airy, beautiful tone. I guess it's just like Antonioni's direction Mm -hmm. of um of that but i i was surprised because i think this is one one of the most beautiful movies of all time like hands down visually beautiful movies of all time and depressing which is such a great mixture um and that's the point to be able to make 2.5 hours it's a little less than 2.5 it's like two hours and like 23 minutes where major plot events are muted and no character, not a single character, verbally expresses what's going on in their head yes. and why they're doing what they're doing is its own special kind of novelistic. We talk about a lot of movies being novelistic. And with this one, it, it's it's not the length that makes it like a novel or the emotional plot points or the time. But it is this fact that not like that things are not said aloud and there's no narrator like that is what a novel is of course in a novel you can actually read the inner monologues but like this is like taking a novel but not putting in a narrator which is like amazing and it breezes by um i do like la note a little more because i feel like the couple being married because that one is about an actual married couple emphasizes something much deeper and stronger um but i love both movies i don't really like leclis that much yeah that's right you talked about that one yeah you know I, you know whose favorite movie la note is who don draper hell yeah hey <laughs> um he says that once that's my boo obviously <laughs> um i also love that the last shot of this movie is ozu don't and, you think uh with the I'm mountain in what way the mountain. Oh, the volcano. And the fact, yeah, and they're yeah. just sitting there, two people staring at it. Oh, it's not a. Mo- it's not a volcano. It's a mountain. Are you sure? Yes, it's a snowy mountain. Okay, because I was watching it with my wife Molly, who, uh, because and I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, mention this, um, because it's such a huge hit right now but white lotus you're aware of this series white lotus have you seen i am aware of it yeah i haven't seen it i haven't seen it either but apparently this new season takes place in italy and it's shot at the same hotel from (gasps) la ventura no and i've seen on youtube they do side by side they literally 
pay homage to La Ventura by recreating entire. So there's a scene with Aubrey Plaza where, you know, the scene with Monica Vitti when like all the men are surrounding her in that that piazza. They do that in White Lotus? They do the same exact camera move and it tilts up to the building and it's the same building from La Ventura. Shut up! And the whole season, this new season of White Lotus is set at this hotel apparently. But I guess, according to my wife, uh, that mountain is a volcano because she's seen White Lotus, or at least in White Lotus, they make it a volcano. Hmm. That's what she said. But uh, so there's our little White Lotus uh, mention. That's great because that's <laughs> such a hot show right now. See, we're relevant. But see, a lot of people, I think, are coming to this film because of uh, White Lotus. I'll allow is, it. Yeah, which Go is great. For it. I'm all for it. Yeah. So it's I. I see that last shot is like basically Ozu. Yeah, I mean. I, <laughs> But wait, I'm curious what specifically about the shot. The mountain before them and them sitting very small, this landscape. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. Not emotionally, but like... Ozu never did anything that fatalistic, though. No. <laughs> um, so those are my initial thoughts. Cool. Well, one thing I want to say is my first exposure to Antonioni was... God... 2004 2003 and i was with my high school girlfriend and a local theater in berkeley california was showing his film the passenger with jack nicholson and i was like 14 or i was like probably 15 i was probably 15 years old and i was like cool a jack nicholson movie i haven't seen before let's go so i take her (laughs) have you seen the passenger so i'm sitting in the theater and I literally have not seen anything so fucking boring in my whole life. And I literally, like, the film felt like an eternity. I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is, it was just like a nightmare situation oh, of, like, no. me so not being ready for Antonioni. So, I mean, I love that it's film now. very young. It's very young. And his films, especially after La Ventura, are paced even slower and more, you know. So... What I love so much about La Ventura, even though, look, I guess it's it's my favorite Antonioni because it's it's this uh, turning point for him as a filmmaker. So he made a, a whole handful of films before this in the 50s, but they're much more straightforward. Mm-hmm. And La Ventura is his turning point. Yes. It is the birth of Antonioni as the artist, as yes. like the, what he was meant to be, his final form emerged yeah. in La Ventura. But what it gives it is it gives it this cool hybrid feeling of like it is an accessible movie. And I think most people can sit down and watch this and enjoy mm-hmm. it. But uh, you don't, don't think know. so? Mm-mm. I think because of the central love affair of the film. And like, look at Monica Vitti and like, it's yeah, so, she's I mean, so stylish and beautiful. It, but I, what I like so much about this movie is it, it is I think with with those filmmakers who have like that very distinct turning point, the film that it comes from is like really special. Yes. And so I guess it is my favorite, although I love Blow Up and I love The Passenger and I love Red Desert. Have you seen Red Desert? So good. That almost Red Desert almost should be part of that trilogy because it's Monica Vitti and stuff, Richard Harris, and it's in, but it's in color, so maybe that's why uh, it wasn't yeah. considered, but it was just made 4 years after this. Hmm. But uh, yeah, and even with like Red Desert, he's like fully in Antonioni territory at that point. Um, but yeah, I just, my relationship with him has been an interesting one. And now I consider him one of my favorite filmmakers. Nice. That's lovely. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. <laughs> That's my new thing. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Um, 
you know, you could easily start talking about this movie by saying like, yeah, like men are trash, right? Like you could start talking about that because it's not just Sandro, you know, it's all those men who are like animals around Gloria Perkins. First of all, what the fuck is Gloria Perkins? (laughs) I'd like to talk about her later. Um, The men who crowd Claudia before she has to escape into the paint store, the pharmacist who's clearly flirting with her and who is talking about that woman who might have been Anna. Um, he said he wants to, he wanted her to watch her leave and her beautiful legs. And then when Claudia goes into the hotel, the final hotel, that old guy who's like, who's that doll? So like, you could talk about all that. Um, but then you also have like, you know, know, like Julia, the, the friend with the 17 year old painter, um, Patricia and Raimondo, like there's a bunch of infidelity. It's, it's not so much about like men are trash or infidelity, I think, as it is about, um, I mean, it is. It, there is a definite emphasis on like this predatory nature, of right? Because men. she's so beautiful, and yes. the, the, all the unwanted attention. But then there's she gets. also all this other stuff. So really, I think it's just about like the disappearance of traditional morals in the modern world, and the right. way. But more important, like the way we hold on to them, despite knowing, despite not really adhering to them, the draw we feel to at least try to uphold them. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's what I that's what I feel when I watch this movie. And um yeah, like why why does Sandro propose to Claudia? Like he knows it's not gonna work. <laughs> like why would he do that? And I love I love how she's like what when he says like answer me or respond, like answer me, and she goes, Respond? No. Like that's my answer. I'm not no. And then he goes, you're looking at me like I said something crazy. And it's like, you did. Like, what? I love those little moments of, like, acknowledgement. Like, I love when he chases her onto the train. And she's like, I really would love to know what we're going to say next. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's these little moments of, like, consciousness of that, of exactly what I just said. So do you think the love affair comes more from that they remind each other of Anna? Or do you think no, they just have I nothing better just, to do? They have nothing better yeah, to do. Yeah, exactly. Totally, totally, totally. <laughs> um... And yeah, I mean, she the way she even says, like, everything is becoming so hideously easy and like forgetting pain and how can it take so little time to change? And it's all of that. And so it's really people are trash. It's not necessarily well, the upper are class, trash, but the like, upper class. Mm, are there any working class people in this film? I don't well, think so. The pharmacist. Okay. The sure. man and, who lives on the island. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Uh, Monica Vitti's character, Claudia, says that she's she comes from like she grew up with no money. So maybe that's why she's like the only one really trying to find Anna. And it's her best friend. But still, like we see most the, the biggest struggle we see, obviously, is in her. She's the one that's trying hardest to uphold her morals and uphold her like loyalty to her friend. Of course, like it kind of goes away pretty quick. But like still, <laughs> we're in her eyes. Um and uh, so, yeah, it's it's not really like infidelity or disloyalty to someone you called your friend, but just the the apathy about Anna's disappearance, like from those friends they were with, the bored, rich, frivolous people. And I don't know. It's 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 yeah, it's that it's like it's like we know these morals exist. We know they're disappearing. We kind of try to hold on to them, but we don't really. And right. And right. All the all all that comes out of that. And even just like, yeah, this frivolity and this boredom like sandra walking around that city alone when he knocks down that ink he's just being a dick like he's just being a bored <laughs> let's talk dick. about the ink really quick and i love that part <laughs> and it's ironic because he himself is like some sort of architect or designer or something and like 
He just ruined someone's work for absolutely no reason. A street artist, yeah. No, exactly. His his complete contempt for people that are beneath him. Yeah. Too. Well, and what he's a great way. The very thing like he wanted to do. Exactly. Well, what a great way to illustrate it too. Like I know. that's that shot of the ink on the paint, like it's the drawing beautiful. is so good. Yeah. It says it all. It, it says, says it, it all. all. And it's it's great when it's so ironic because um the conversation right before he proposes to her when they're by those bells, which I love. Oh my god, I love that. Um, they're on top of that church and there's these bells and he says to her like who needs beautiful things like how long do they last people used to build for the ages and it used to last forever but today things don't last they last what 10 20 years and it's ironic because i feel like he's saying it right before he's going to propose to her it's like he's trying to say i want something deeper than beauty but at the same time he's just revealing that in his mind beauty doesn't last it's on to the next one even though he has this beautiful lady mm-hmm. who whose appearance has not changed her beauty has not faded at all it's just been two days yeah and now he's done and yeah all it takes yeah. is for her to not come downstairs yes. for him to cheat yes. <laughs> to find the next person yes yeah so i don't know i just think it's it's amazing well he's sandra's the kind of person too who feels entitled to women's attention and i think the scene that sets up this prostitute where this whole mob this whole crowd is mobbing her. yeah and he's like oh that's a woman that, he, that he's now like made his target exactly of like, i deserve this woman exactly you know and it's literally just a conquest frame all women are conquests they are yes exactly and it's like he even says it himself he says like she says actually claudia says like to think you said all these things to anna and he's like i did and i meant them and i mean them now and it's like what he's italian what are you gonna do oh my god <laughs> yeah. Can we t- okay gloria perkins yeah wh- who what why know. is she speaking english why is know. she pretending to be a writer she's supposed to be american i think with that name i don't know it's just all very odd <laughs> it's very odd you know honestly i think that's the reason i give this movie four and a half stars oh because of five. her she should because have been like an actress so random she yes have been like an what is she why is she a high-end prostitute saying she's a writer and actress and like it's a bit much when like all those guys have just come to look at her like ripped skirt. <laughs> like we get it. Okay. Right. I get um, what you're saying. That's valid. I think it would have been more interesting if she was a little bit more unobtainable I of agree. being like an actress I instead agree. of a prostitute that anyone can pay for. Although she's yeah. a very expensive prostitute. Cause that guy says like, Oh, it's like a month's wages or something. Yeah. But then why this charade that I'm a writer and I've come to write an article? Like it just seems odd to me. Maybe it's like a time thing and we just don't get it because it's like, I don't know, a time period thing or a cultural thing. I don't know. Um, but then if, if the movie is about this like shallowness, right. And this like nothing lasts, beauty doesn't last, love doesn't last. He's winning me over in it because like I'm watching this movie and all I care about is Monica Vitti's face. Like I just want to see her because she's so beautiful and it's like me, I'm falling for it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the beauty of the movie Yeah, or like not the beauty, Let's not use beauty again. I <laughs> right. think that's the a testament yeah. to the magic of the movie. I find myself just wanting to see her face. And I think the movie wouldn't work if she wasn't as beautiful. Yeah. Agreed. And I think you get even more of that in something like Red Desert, where it's just her face and like industrial landscapes. And yes. that's the film. Yes. Because he realized what he had in her of like, she's she's his muse. I think they were even like romantically involved Probably. for a while. But like she, okay, you know what's so great about her too? 
She feels like the real deal. She does. She feels like a real person. She doesn't just feel like a model. Yes, like, because often you'll get that. Like, oh, she's here because she's just like stunning. But mm-hmm. she's stunning, but she has this like depth Definitely. to her. I think and so too. she's fascinating. She's yes. endlessly watchable. Yes. We just lost her a year or two yeah. ago. This year oh, in 2022. Oh yeah. When I was in Italy, I took a picture because I'm... We were in the Trastevere neighborhood in Rome, and there was a big mural with her face. Aww. Um, um, the woman who plays Anna is also gorgeous. And I looked her up, too. She really wasn't in much else after this. And she started as, like, a production uh, production designer's, like, assistant on set and, oh. then, like, got discovered because she was so beautiful. But, of course, and, like, the movie is... The, it's purely showcasing this theme, right? It's never didactic. And I love that there's even a line. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're on the boat and one of the women said, like one of the friends says, um, I can see the weather is changing. And then someone <laughs> says, no need to be so didactic. And like, it's like, I, I can like see myself that the weather is changing. That's him. Yeah. yeah. That's like his self-aware irony saying right. you're being too obvious by having her say the weather is changing. Yeah, I like that. I, I love that. I mean, the message of the movie is nothing new. I think even at the time of like, the upper class, the upper crust is so like hollow and shallow. Yeah. Like it's not saying like the great Gatsby said this year, years exactly. before this film, but like it's the way in which he does it. And it's there's... the way in which, and you keep coming back to um, upper class, but I don't think it's purely upper class. I think it's a movie. I think it's about everyone's morals of the time. Don Draper. Mm. He's not really upper class. Uh, kind of. I mean, he's like upper middle class, upper, but he's upper not middle. like a, he doesn't have a yacht. True. Or like um, the pharmacist, like the pharmacist himself. Right. And, yeah, that's true. And all those point. men looking at her like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I love yeah. the title of the film. La Ventura. Yeah. What is the adventure? Well, like, that's the whole thing. Yes. It's so it's ironic. It's so ironic and it's so misleading. Like I can imagine it, it pissed so many movie, people right? off. In the yeah. Beginning. Like, okay, I'm, I'm strapping adventure. in. We're adventure. We're going to find her. And- yeah. yeah. And it's this. It's an anti-adventure. Totally, totally. <laughs> Let's talk about a little bit about like the emptiness of the movie because I think it's tied to the way it's shot and like the mystery. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, the negative space in this movie oh. is remains the one of the most I mean, yeah, we've said it already, but this is because this movie is one of the most visually stunning because of the way that it uses negative space. Yes. And again, what better way to feel the absence of something in just these like emptiness empty frames like i think a lot of a lot of shots of them driving like when they come Mm -hmm. out of that tunnel or they're driving up like through those like ghost towns in italy the place noto which is yes there's that church and then she's like knocking on a door and it echoes yeah no i mean just beautifully you could so he so flawlessly gives you that feeling of loneliness and isolation yeah imagine what time they had to wake up to like shoot those like before anyone was out even when sandra's walking in the square like there's not many people around um the terrace at the end when it's just them two like so empty and even when they're on the rocks when they're searching the island like it's such a long stretch i think it's like 10 or 12 minutes of just them on the island Mm -hmm. searching and it's like you feel like claustrophobic even though you're in open air. Well, he makes it's you like feel tension. the time too. It's just yeah, it's just pure tension and it's it's amazing. I love the yeah, the way that he's able to convey something that was there that's now gone. Yeah. Initially it's Anna, but then mm-hmm. it's as the movie goes on, it's not even about Anna missing anymore, but it's about the emptiness inside these people. Yes. But like even when they're at the the big villa that's been commandeered by the Coast Guard, 
and the guy that works there he's like yeah the man who, the man who built this villa and then it like tilts up and you see the bust of this person yes. again it's all like the emptiness the things that used to be here that yes. are now gone and yes. there's even a comment like oh i don't know if he would have liked the way it's being used now and yeah. like so it's like the past is haunting this film and like open spaces definitely. are haunting this film and, definitely and then what is like um in the beginning because anna's father is some like diplomat or something yeah politician about like all these houses like there were houses here before right that's Mm -hmm. what he's saying right about all these houses being knocked down yeah so it's always the the changing of the yeah exactly yeah Um, The, the only time it's really crowded is when the men are staring at claudia or gloria perkins um but other than that it is so yeah you're right empty and yeah well, I mean, no one had really seen anything like this at the time. Totally. Like visually on in a film. Yeah. And this movie was credited by critics at the time for inventing like a new film grammar. Yes. Which it does. Yes. And, and it was I, number two. It got voted number two. Yeah, the next for good year, reason. I'm glad because so many of the films that we cover on this show were not really loved in their day and got mm-hmm. love like decades later. This, this has film, always been. Except the first this, night it premiered at Cod. But no, I love that people got it early on. Yes. And that's just so cool to me. And there's because I think we can't, I mean, we're going to do an episode on La Dolce Vita eventually because it is on the list, but you almost can't talk about this film without bringing up La Dolce Vita just because they came out the same year. They came out the same year and they were, it was a con like people at the time. It was like, you're either a La Ventura person or yeah. you're a La Dolce Vita yeah. person. Yeah. I'm both. I I'm really am both. I'm La Ventura. But they are two completely different approaches yeah. and they're both these behemoths of they just happen to both come out of Italy mm-hmm. of just being like the films that year. Psycho also came out in 1960 in America, yes. um, which we cannot play down the influence of. But I think too, I mean, look, I love Hitchcock and stuff, but I think Psycho's influence versus the influence of La Ventura. I don't even think there's a, there's a contest. Right. Which so, film so when has you say, impacted films yes, more? When you say like a new, like a new film grammar, it's kind of just this grammar of like, um, being enigmatic and but not really enigmatic but just like um, i think it's like sure there's that but there's also just the the to vi- exactly what you were saying earlier like to give this film with interior monologues that aren't there the, exactly the, the, the monologues are on screen yes in the framing yes i think that alone and just to the patient way that this is told yeah and the compositions um, and yeah exactly because i mean, I could be totally wrong here but i don't think not that i would consider this like slow cinema because that is a whole movement and I, this is not quite that but these films this that were pa- cin- this is slow cinema that, no i don't yeah. think so you people think so? were booing during long stretches where nothing was happening i mean i guess for the time it could have been but i think by today's standards like mm-hmm. tarkovsky is slow cinema bellatar this- is slow cinema I feel like Antonioni is a little bit more, I don't want to say gracious because that sounds wrong because I like slow cinema, but I, this feels like an early example. This is like a pioneer. I think this is definitely, I, I think that's very safe to I say. I can't really think of anything that came before this that had the same sort of just like yeah. patience, I guess. But I mean, you can also say that that Psycho invented a film grammar, especially with the, the obviously the shower scene, but beyond the shower scene well, is the, the lead the protagonist dying so like halfway into let's the film. talk about that that's literally my next point because oh, really? this happened i mean this happens in this movie like mm-hmm. anna you open the movie thinking anna's the main character she's the first person you see she's talking to her dad about her boyfriend she goes and visits her boyfriend has sex with her boyfriend like it's she is the main character and it's the same deflection that's happening in psych well you, you know what i love the too? same but like 
just, it is. Just as a little footnote, I love that they go and have sex while Claudia's waiting outside. Because yes, so, it just shows. He's like, I'll let her wait. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, she says she that. She says it. That's right. Yeah. She does. So, okay. So, it's the way that Monica Vitti's character appears in such a fleeting moment and then she's literally the main character for like half after half an hour in the movie she's the main character and there's this amazing shot of Sandro like falling on the bed when him and Anna are about to have sex and Monica Vitti's in the crack of the curtain you could see her Yeah they're outside. not being very subtle about it. It is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um and I love how the movie like okay if you went into it knowing that this girl goes missing it teases a few times, right? Because like she jumps in the water, like while the boat is moving, and Sandra's like, "Oh, Anna!" Like, he, like there's tease number one, tease number two, shark when she's in the water, and she's like, "Shark!" Like you think, yeah. There's all it sets Red, you yeah. up, and then the third time is finally when she's actually in trouble. Exactly, and I love that. Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, I really love. I think we should talk about Anna because I love an unknowable woman. <laughs> like she I love that like the first time we see her with Sandro she's mad at him for an unknown reason and we we never really learn why maybe no reason at all and she just walks in and she's just looking at him and she just undoes her dress like she do, we get nothing else we don't know why she's giving him attitude and it's I it just think it's so yeah great that's pretty groundbreaking for the time i know I think, to I not know. give you that information she you know she reminds me of cecilia and the virgin suicides because she's like <laughs> she's quietly contemplative she's sad i think like with anna i think that she did commit suicide that's my right. that's my hot take because that's what the movie leads you to believe i think she's dissatisfied with the feelings of dissatisfaction like she doesn't want to be like everyone around her she's like oh like i'd rather die than feel nothing yeah and I really, I love that. Yeah. It's really, really heartbreaking. And even the books she has on her. So she has the Bible, Cecilia, right? Yep. Um, she has the Bible and then she has um, Tender is the Night, which F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote about Zelda, who was notoriously suicidal. Right. And like the, the story itself was written when Zelda was recovering from one of her suicide attempts. And I love that the dad is like, oh, the Bible, like she must not have killed herself. But then right next to it is Tender is the <laughs> yeah, Night, which ignores. is like a suicide book. Yeah, she's, she's in the know. She knows her existence is meaningless. I just love it. <laughs> I love the line she says when she's like, last night I went to bed intending to think about a lot of things. And I just I fell, fell asleep. asleep. Yeah, oh, that's so good. It's so, so, the so The way too good. that she disappears, like you said, they set up these red flags that don't happen. And then she just, there isn't some final shot where she walks off and it's like, you know, it just kind of happens. And mm -hmm. then she's like, wait, where's Anna? And she's yeah. just already gone. Yeah. And I love when uh, Claudia thinks she sees her for a moment and then it's Julia. Yeah. The other lady. Um, let's, let's talk about the island really quick because yes. I love. Wait, have you seen Picnic at Hanging Rock? I haven't seen you it. You would love it. I know. It's incredible. It's been on my list for so it's long. so, so, so good. But what I love about that film, again, it's set in the Australian outback and everything, but the main feature is very similar to this film where it's this craggy, rocky structure. And the island in this could not be less inviting, right? Like it is so. <laughs> harsh and yeah. jagged and rough yeah. and there's like shots where when they're looking for anna and sandra's looking down and the waves are like slamming Amazing. against the, yeah. these caves and yes also how great that they find that like pottery and they just like break it <laughs> i know 
very quickly, right? They put in the time to like look for her, and then they, they very They're quickly done. are like, "What's yeah. the next thing? Yeah. In, in my life, we're gonna like, go to the villa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're done with this. And it's like Fitzgerald, right? She has a F. Scott Fitzgerald book, and it's like, yeah, this jazz age rich people who are just careless, and yeah. I don't know. I think it's all just so perfect the way it just all comes together. Yeah. And you know what? I think it's very telling that. Claudia grew up poor like we kind of talked about this and that she's Anna's best friend that Anna this rich girl her best friend is someone who comes from not her same class her social status so right. I think it's telling you about I think Anna is a fully developed person which is like yeah I incredible. think so too I think so too um, and the way that they're <laughs> I just I love the journey of Sandro and Claudia and how quickly they don't God. want to find Anna. They're like, no, yes. I hope we don't find yes. her. I hope she does not surface. Yes. And even when they're in that final hotel at the end, Claudia's like, I'm well, so scared Anna's back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, because I mean, look, I I feel for the characters in this movie. I feel for Claudia, and I even to a certain extent, even though he's a fuck boy, I feel for Cla- uh, for uh, Sandro. And because I I, you know what. You get enough. You get enough of them, especially with her. I think she's likable, right? Claudia, do you like You're her? Like, she's likable because she's one of the most gorgeous women of all time. That's what I think. Right, but th- here's here's the thing, right? Because the right actors are in these roles. I think even with Sandro, who is much more no, no. no see, I think that's the point. I right. think you're not supposed to like her. I'm saying if she wasn't as beautiful, we wouldn't like no, her. No, exactly. And I'm saying and that's like, the point of the movie. No, exactly. 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 No, that that's it right yeah. there. That is it. But I, I like both of them. <laughs> because they're hot. I mean. Yes. That No, yes. It's true. I guess so. Because <laughs> I just imagine like Clint Howard in this movie Think or something. anyone else. Yeah. 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 That's true. <laughs> no, you know what? I think you're right. Yes, but that's what the point of the movie is. Yeah, that's true. Um, let's talk about. Okay, so we caught ca- like let's talk about how this is. I think like a proto persona slash Mulholland Drive, right? Oh, really? Because it's this two women dichotomy, right? Oh, okay. And like she puts on her clothes, like Anna. I mean, Claudia puts on Anna's clothes after Anna disappears. There's that whole thing with the wig and the hair, yeah, blonde and brunette. Like it's, it's a like good. A, you yeah. know what? I did not think about that. Yeah, because okay, <laughs> she has the La Notte wig, by the way. She Monica Vitti puts on that brunette wig, which, which they hadn't made yet. Which they hadn't made yet. So that's like a little Easter egg, I think. But it's also like okay. Uh, Anna was brunette and I'm blonde. And then the pharmacist, they asked the pharmacist, was she blonde or brunette? He says blonde. So it probably wasn't Anna, but it's just this kind of like the meshing of them, right? Yeah. A yeah. little bit. I'm not saying it's huge. I'm just saying I definitely, I got that like that theme, that genre in there a little bit. Right. There could be a little vertigo too if Sandra tried to make Claudia over. Yes. <laughs> Which she doesn't. Yes. <laughs> because it's clearly not that. He's he's not falling in love falling for her because she, he reminds she reminds him of He's not falling Anna. for no, her. No, he's just infatuated. He's because not she's a beautiful fa- he woman. He even says it at the end, like you're having a fling and she's like, Hold the fuck up. Did you just say fling? Yeah. And he's like, oh, y'all, you know what I meant. And that's the moment where she's like, I'm not gonna sleep with you anymore. Right. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I, you know, too, I can't because we, I know we both love Mad Men. Mm-hmm. And ever since I 
maybe I I don't remember the timing of these, but ever since I like got really into Antonioni, I was like, oh, Mad Men is so much Antonioni mm-hmm. with like a little bit of like the apartment or something, like the Billy Wilder movie. It's like the apartment yeah. and Antonioni, mm-hmm. and that's Mad Men mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. But I love, there's a certain, I think that's why I love Mad Men so much. There's a quiet deliberation to Mad Men. Definitely. That, there is this inner monologue that's not spoken aloud. Yeah. And also the these beautiful people that are living these kind of shallow existences, shallow existences yeah. but like are longing to, to have something more, Definitely. to have something deeper. And I think even down to the way that they're shot, Mad Men is like very patiently mm-hmm. told and that's some people that don't like it have told me they're like oh th- not enough happens yeah. Yeah, I'm like, what are you yeah. talking about everything happens yeah. like everything i agree um and i love that and i mean it's even evident in the show because don draper loves la note so yes. there's just like a you know i think you even see him watching it in the theater at one point yes and he tells someone like oh go see la note <laughs> but you can tell i love i'm obsessed with the the movies that they choose to reference in Mad Men. that because yeah. don loves if you're not a Mad Men fan, I'm sorry you're not getting a lot from this right now. But also, what's wrong with you? Go watch Mad Men. But the the scenes where you get Don Draper just like in the theater because he would go to the movies mm-hmm. by himself mm-hmm. and he'd just be sitting there and he'd be watching like Planet of the Apes or Lenote or I Am Curious uh-huh. or something like that. And like I just love the the callouts. It's and great, so good. Mad Men is excellent. Oh, how many times have you seen Mad Men? Once. Really? Yeah. I don't rewatch shows. Uh, I should. I don't. But that one I've seen like four times. Wow. I've seen like four times. It's There's nothing quite like it. But I will say I watched Mad Men like the last season I actually watched on. Like I I watched it way too early. You know what? I should rewatch it because I watched the last season live. Like I saw the last episode on the actual day. It was like seven years ago. Jeez. Are you serious? Wait, were you in diapers then? (gasps) (laughs) was way too young yeah give it another watch oh my god because there's all these great like cinematic illusions in it and stuff um i started watching it too young too i mean i was i mean not young i was probably like 20 when i started watching it but it was like when season two was airing and then i just watched it all throughout all throughout only caught the last season. but i've seen it like multiple times since then and it's just so rich it's so rich it's full of all these great character moments there's a moment and I'm bringing it up because I feel like it ties directly into La Ventura, the the, uh, the theme of negative space. So there's a scene, one of the later seasons, I'm not giving anything away if you haven't yeah. seen Mad Men, but in- Is the, it when Betty is fat? No, no, <laughs> no. In the office, Don calls an elevator. He pushes the button, the door's uh-huh. open, uh-huh. but there's no elevator. It's just an empty shaft. And yeah. it's this very quiet, ominous moment where Don Draper looks into the empty shaft, yes. sees there's nothing- and then, like, oh, the doors close, yeah. uh-huh. and then, like, an elevator comes. But it's just this little thing, yeah. the negative space of Antonioni. Wow. Beautiful. That's why, I fu- that's why I love that show so much. It's, like, full of little moments like that. Yeah. Give it another watch. No, I, I mean, I've been meaning. It's just, it's very long. I've seen the first two seasons twice, um, and then I kind of stopped. But let's talk. Okay, so, like, I was going to get into sight and sound, but, like, I think sight deserves its own special section. <laughs> this movie, okay, this movie. It's sight. Don't, but don't, I don't know. The way this movie is shot is really, like I said, like it's, it's so ingrained with the theme and what it's trying to do that it's like, I don't think you could talk about it separately, you know, but just like no. a few, a few things like 
the lovemaking scenes, like the way that they're oh, shot God. in such a like intimate way, intimate in an awkward. They're they're awkward and hot. And which her is saying like, like mine, 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 as she's oh, kissing him. Oh my god! First, though, okay. My only issue, I was talking <laughs> about like the Anna and Sandro and that one as well, but like mine, mine, mine. I feel like the jump between, and then I went back and rewatched it. But the he they get in a car. They've just left that very empty church uh, square, and they get in a car, and then directly after they're already like kissing. I feel like and but she's like smiling and kissing. Like I feel like it's like <laughs> it's a little too quick. But then I went back and rewatched, and like as they're driving away, the camera's slowly pushing in. So I feel like it's kind of leading up to it, but still. Oh my god, you're talking about yes. That's one of my. Um favorite sites the push in it's in the alley the camera's in the alley it's slowly dolling in as they get in their car and drive off that's one of my favorite sites gorgeous it was tied for me but i'm just saying these love making scenes they are so intimate and up in your face and close and yeah they're i love them the whole movie like it's fluid movements right it's these like it's really a testament to like the compositions and the blocking the blocking really especially after last weekend that i was like (laughs) yeah i blocking is an art it, it is. is such an art. Um, and the blocking in this film tells the whole story. Yeah, and even like the close-up shot, there's this close-up shot of Sandro opening the car door for her. Like you see her driver drive off, right? And then it's him in close-up. He exits the frame. She enters the frame. And you only then realize that she's entering a car. Like it's like, oh, it's just, yeah. it's gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Um, even the way we, when all those men crowd her, like the way the camera tilts up and she's just surrounded. It's very, you know that picture, the American girl in Italy? No. You haven't seen that photo? Maybe I have. I Ruth Orkin. It's like from yeah. the 50s. It's literally an American girl in Italy walking down the street. And all these Italian men are like staring at her and like catcalling her. And I just, yeah, it's great. Wow. Um, other sites I love when we're in the train window and it slowly pans and she's leaning against the wall. Oh, God. Ugh. <laughs> um another great one sorry i'm just like thing it's it's claudia she's looking it's when they're still searching on the island and she looks down and again there's that big like splash of water but then we cut to wide and she's not even high up Mm -hmm. did you know what i'm talking about yeah Uh uh-huh it's like so mysterious and like deceptive and or like uh, when the camera stays on the boat and there's that walkway that goes onto the island yeah and the, the boat is swaying and so the island is swaying yeah, in here because yeah. you're you're anchored to the boat and it's you're amazing. seeing them come and go from the boat to the it's island amazing. with these it's craggy amazing. rocks yes yeah. even like walking there's this one great shot where sandro's like in profile and he just walks into the frame and she's staring straight ahead like yes. that like profile straight their wind their hair the hair is blowing in the wind and it's like First of all, Monica Vitti's hair oh my is freaking on fleek. Like, what is that hairdo? I haven't seen it on anyone else in that time period. I truly haven't. Well, you know what's cool too about it is like the fact that there's that famous scene where the two of them are on the island and their hair is blowing like crazy. That's what I'm talking about. Where her he hair steps still looks amazing. The, he it, steps into the frame, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. But that could. I feel like a lot of people are like um that's like not going to look great because my hair is going to no, get no, no. all janky. She's, yeah, no. but her her hair looks amazing yeah. windswept. Like yeah. it's so good. She's a goddess. Like she truly is. Yeah. Um. Okay, we didn't even talk about when he has come to kiss her for the first time, and he's stepping down, and she's fixing her hair in the mirror. Oh yeah. And you see him stepping down. Ugh. 
god. Yeah, he plays with height a lot in this movie yeah. too. Like one person is like higher than the other person, like on a step, and then it's yes. like yeah. yes. He at the end, the very final scene, he's sitting and weeping, and she's right. on top of him. Like right. Yeah. I feel like she's usually the one that's higher. Yeah. Because like that windswept scene, she is. She sta- is higher. Yeah, yeah. She's higher. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Um. We didn't even talk about the ending. <laughs> um. Well, she by Elvis Costello starts playing, and <laughs> Julia Roberts is there, <laughs> and then they sit on a bench in a park, both the end, reading. Yeah, the end makes the movie because this could have easily, if they just like quietly ended up together, you know, which kind of happens. But there's uh, a, there's a sense of doom. There's a sense of doom. I don't know. Do you think that they try to continue anything past this, or do you think that's kind of the end of things? No, I think they do, but I think it's obviously doomed. Right. It's it, the hand on there. A lot of times, well, cause, like their hands grab his hair, right? Which is like, well, there's that shot in this right before the end of a close up of Monica Vitti's hand, and it's like she doesn't know that she's making a fist, she doesn't know if she's gonna, and then she eventually just like puts it goes, on the back of his yeah, head. Yeah, it's amazing. So she's like, maybe it's a little on the nose, but it's still like a beautiful way to like show that. I don't think so, but yeah, just the. I love to like when she wakes up and this hotel is just completely like a train has been run through yes. it and it's just like people the passed party. out and it's quiet and yeah, there's like the shit all over the, the place party. and yeah. like it just because clearly like there would be staff that would have cleaned that totally. up overnight. But I love the look of this. And when she's running yeah. in the hallway all alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I bet Kubrick got some shining stuff from that. Totally. Yeah. That um, that final image of them sitting on that bench. Phew, God. That's you know <laughs> that's an ending <laughs> that's an ending all right um I, I i do think and i like the score for the film but i do think the score in that final moment almost like it it's a little too much like a little it's very arts there, there should have been Italian. there should have been no score yeah but it's that's what i'm saying it's very of the time i feel like but so much of the film is not yes so to have this one element where it's like yeah. This big bombastic final cue. Yeah. You're like, yeah, we don't need that. But yeah. Just, would have been better if you just heard like music coming from like a distant window or yeah. something and just the Even wind. Even Brisson did it. Even like at the end of his Who? movies, Brisson. Who? <laughs> I don't know that name. <laughs> Even just... him, like he'd withhold music the whole time and then the end, it's finally like. It's the catharsis. Up. Yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah. Even that donkey movie had that. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it so funny that Ohazard Balthazar is like Wes Anderson's one of his favorite movies? Yeah. So random, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, I guess it is. But I guess not really with these very like detailed hand shots and things. I see like more that. I see more Jacques Tati and Wes Anderson and stuff like that yeah. than, than uh um, Bresson, but Jacques Demi too. Oh yeah. 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 Um should we do sight and sound? And Hal Ashby for Wes Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> Sight and sound. What's that? Uh, I guess. Is there anything we're f- we're forgetting at this point? I feel like this. Uh, did we did we sort of check all the boxes? I guess we did. I think so. <clears throat> I guess that's all of my notes. What's your? It's very hard. So like everything I said is basically my favorite site. But if you had to pick one, Jackie. Okay. If I <laughs> if I had to give had me a to break. Pick one. It's probably her in that black dress 
going out of the wind, like running out that window onto that deck when they're at the oh, friend's house. Where the, it's split, the, the frame is split in the middle from yeah, the bookcase inside. Split and then diopter, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if that's a diopter. I think that's just like a... No, wait, what do we... Bookcase. The There's scene no where she bookcase. goes out on the patio by herself. Yes, in a black dress with her hair up. Right. And then half the frame is still like the inside. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's mi- not split diopter. I don't think so. I think it's just my technical uh, non-expertise is showing. It's one of those lenses where just like everything is in focus, I think. Mm. I think. I don't remember seeing like a diopter blur there. Mm. But... Because you just used a diopter, right? I did. How did it was really even... funny. It was so, it was really, really cool. So Brian like, De Palma over here. Yeah, when the, and I'll, I have the dailies, so I'll show you later. But like, um, when the slate is lifted, it's really funny because like half of the slate is in focus. And after they've racked focus, like it's like blurry, blurry, and then really in focus and then like kind of in focus again. And it's really cool. Nice. I don't know how the hell they did it. My team was amazing. <laughs> I don't know how they did it. Um, and I felt so bad because they set it up and it was just like a static shot. So I literally like we rolled for like, I don't know, 40 seconds. And then I was like, all right, we're good. And yeah. It was like all that work for that. But <laughs> It's all um, in the details. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's my favorite side, I think. What's yours? So it was a tie, and I mentioned my first one earlier that that dolly shot down that it's like gorgeous. that yeah. road, that street as they get into their car, and it's just a slow push. Uh, my other one is when they're on the island and they're staying in that shack. Yeah, and in the morning she opens the the yes. wooden door, and the camera kind of comes around. It's another kind of like dolly shot, yes. and she's just looking out onto the sunrise. I think it's the sunrise, yes. and you just hear like the wind howling. Yeah, it's actually my combined sight and sound because my oh, my nice. sound is just the wind howling throughout this entire yes. movie. But I guess I'll take it from that specific scene. I just you didn't choose water. I'm so surprised. No, because this movie to me, it's the cold, it's the wind, it's the you know, it's mussing their hair, yeah. and it's like. That's the that's the mm-hmm. element for me in this one. It's the wind. Got it. Totally. Yeah. Let's hear it right now. Like, why is the um, caretaker speaking half english half italian like the i don't know the caretaker in that shack and then he like tells them about his family and shows them pictures i have no idea that guy is really <laughs> confusing to me i don't know i'll have Good to question. meditate on him i think you will meditate and get back to me i will <laughs> like they don't give a fuck about his family i guess what's your favorite sound mine is really stupid it's when Anna... So at first it was going to be the song when she's like, no, no, it was going to be that, which uh-huh. I love. Uh-huh. But then I thought, let me like dive a little deeper. And I love the way that when Anna walks into Sandro's house, she throws her purse on the table and it like knocks down a bunch of shit. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite sound. Oh, nice. I like that. Let's hear it. <laughs> It's just so natural. I love it. And again, it's all these little things he's doing that's that's giving us some kind of sense of who these people are. Yeah. What did our dear friend Pauline say? Get ready for this one. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Do you know it all? No. <laughs> okay. Pauline Kale. 
Pauline Kael wrote in, this is like contemporary, okay? Wow. So literally the headline of her review is, an answer to the question, what is the best film of 1961? Because it didn't come over to the States until 1961. Of course, it was 1960 in Italy. But she starts off by saying, it had begun to look as if only those with a fresh eye, working in poverty and inexperience, and in underdeveloped countries, discovering the medium for themselves, could do anything new and important, like the Apu trilogy. The future of movies seemed to lie with filmmakers who didn't know that it had all been done before. For those with great traditions behind them, the only field to explore seemed to be comedy, and black comedy at that. Um, La Ventura is easily the film of the year because Antonioni, by making his movie about this very problem, depleted modern man, demonstrated that the possibilities for serious, cultivated, personal expression in the film medium were not yet exhausted. La Ventura is a study of the human condition at the higher social and economic levels, a study of adjusted, compromising man, afflicted by short memory, thin remorse, easy betrayal. The characters are passive as if post-analytic, active only in trying to discharge their anxiety. Sex is their sole means of contact and communication. Too shallow to be truly lonely, they are people trying to escape their boredom and each other and finding it there. They become reconciled to life only by resignation. Claudia, the only one capable of love, is defeated like the rest. Her love turns to pity. It's a barren view of life, but it's a view. I don't see that as a, like, I don't think she hated the movie. No, she literally says it's the film of the year. Go, good. No, because the way you made it seem was that she didn't like it. Oh, I was just leading you on. And then she finishes by saying, she's on point. She finishes by saying, for those who can take movies or leave them alone, La Dolce Vita is obviously the film of the year. Audiences can enjoy its vice, the name they give their own fantasies Uh when somebody else acts them out. And they can hold up their hands in horror, peeking through the fingers at all that wicked decadence and all those orgies. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, again, She's it, on point. it was this whole thing in 1960 among film, film people. Like, which film is your film? That's great. I, I, I didn't know about that. Yeah, I, You know, I love the decadence of La Dolce Vita. Like I love more? Marcello riding this woman like a like a dog. Like, she's on all fours. He's like on her back. Yes. Like, like, there's something about that image. Like, it's just debauchery you know it's like i don't know and you have like the christ statue being flown in with the helicopter all this beautiful trevi fountain trevi fountain i was just there love that imagery love it i love the dolce vita i love the dolce vita almost as much as i love this movie but i realize that they're doing completely different they're doing they're doing a similar thing just in a very very different way yeah so yeah pauline loved it good (laughs) letterboxd yes okay (laughs) <laughs> this is my this is basically my thesis um four stars my thesis like about this movie i didn't actually write a thesis about this um four stars la ventura isn't about alienation you fucking losers you fools it's about monica Vitti being hot <laughs> kind of I, that's what I it's saying. true half a star a vapid empty modernistic film about the vapidity and emptiness of modern life. <laughs> Antonioni unironically indulges himself in the very thing he's supposedly criticizing. <laughs> he doesn't, no. though. He doesn't. No. Okay, this one's great. Five stars. I'd absolutely yell about sharks before ghosting my men, too. 
<laughs> I like the silly ones. Someone said a uh, five-star review, full five stars. They say, this is one of the best ghost stories ever made. Ooh. It starts off one way with a woman named Anna who mysteriously disappears. Antonioni then reframes the narrative, alters the shape of the story we thought we were going to see, and uses Anna's disappearance and lingering memory to haunt every crevice, every character, and every theme in this film has to provide. I mean, we said that. Yeah, that's it's a long review, but I loved that first paragraph, just how the film was so haunted by her disappearance. Right. This is actually a really well-written one. I know I said I like the silly ones, but this is three and a half stars. Um, similar reaction to La Note. Magnificent for about an hour, in this case, roughly until Claudia makes Sandro get off the train. Diminishing returns thereafter. Uh, and then they go on. Um, at any rate, the first half of La Ventura does for landscape what the first half of La Note does for architecture. And my issue with the second half isn't about thwarted expectations. Ditching the mystery of Anna's disappearance is fine. Replacing it with the banality of Sandro getting hot for a va-va-voom aspiring <laughs> actress is a bit tiresome. But that's the movie. That's the movie. No. I don't know, but it was well written. Yeah. I, I pre- there, there, it was longer. I just didn't read it all. Someone gave it one star and said, "The most deceptive title of any work of art. <laughs> there is no adventure to be found here. A thoroughly tedious affair with nary a reason for investment or engagement. <laughs> At least Antonioni's blow up has the good sense to provide a skeptical eye alongside mm-hmm. its bourgeois characters." Okay. Well. Um... I also think this has a very skeptical eye. Yes, that An part- extremely skeptical Did eye. Did you not watch the movie? Um, last one, La Venbora. <laughs> one star. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, that was La Ventura. I love this movie. It's our first Antonioni, not our last. Mm. Um, even though there are, I think there are no more on the list. Or wait, is Blow Up on the list? <laughs> I guess we should know this. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, Leclise is also on the 2012 list. So we will get to Leclise, which the is your worst favorite. One. That's your favorite of the trilogy. Okay, le- I love Lanote. No, Lanote is great. I'm, I'm really upset that Leclise, but now ne- neither of them are on the list. So, so Lanote is your favorite, Antonioni. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, nice. Something about it. Well, this too, like it's very, it's very, very, very close. But yeah. Anyway. Well, next week, we're doing a certain film. We're doing our second Orson Welles movie, which just happens to be his second feature, a little film called The Magnificent Ambersons, Mm. which is famously sort of unfinished. It was taken away from him and a bunch was cut out. And it's one of those famous things where like the missing footage was destroyed and we'll never know what it was, but they cut a bunch out. So according to you, it's not a real movie, but we'll see for ourselves <laughs> next week as we cover Orson Welles' The Magnificent Ambersons. Wait, did I mention this on our 2022 list episode about how, um, what is Greed it, Day in the Country? No, how Day in the Country is also cut from 2022. Oh, well, we said it now. I'm just, I'm saying it now. See, I was onto <laughs> something. These incomplete movies shouldn't be on the list because it's unfair to real movies. They are real movies. Uh, anyway, so come back next week. We're doing some more Orson Welles. Until then, I'm Greg. I was just making sure Day in the Country is not on the list, <laughs> which it is not. I am Jackie. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Seen and Heard is an official podcast of the Arroyo Film Club, featuring Greg Kleinschmidt and Jacqueline Postagian. Theme music by Andrew Cox. 
If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have any questions, comments, or you just want to say hi, email us hello at seenandheardpod.com or visit our website, www.seenandheardpod.com.